Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see that you made it here safe and sound. It was like a sheet of ice in my driveway when I left the house this morning. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm wearing some leather shoes here. So it's like you're walking in glass slippers doing this the whole way to the car. Um, really glad that you're here with us. We're picking up a new series. We're going to be looking at the book of 2 Timothy. Now, this is one of my favorite books in all the Bible. I love 2 Timothy, and I know what you're thinking. You say that every time we open up a new book of the Bible. And it's true. I love a lot of books of the Bible, but 2 Timothy is such a special book of the Bible. You know, when I was in seminary, we used to think of each book of the Bible as having its own unique thumbprint. It's in the scriptures for a reason. And today, we're going to be unpacking why 2 Timothy is in the Bible. Now, as we open this letter up, I want to frame it with a quote that I've heard that has haunted me over the years. And the quote is this, Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. And when you think about that, of course, it could cause a lot of fear. Now, thank God that he's in control. His plans never fail. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And yet, he has also made it so his mission depends on one generation of leaders handing the mission to the next. So when it's done well, the church thrives. When it's done poorly, of course, it doesn't go so well. It's the baton. The baton is the mission of God. It's in your hand and it's in my hand. We each carry this baton and we've been given a task. We've been given a responsibility. Now for a moment, I just want you to, to pause and imagine that you're holding that baton now in your hand. And take a look at it. And as you look at the baton, think about the fingerprints that are on it. Who passed you the baton? Who passed the baton to them? So on and so forth. Think about that influential individual who first told you the words of life. And, and now think about the people that God's placed in your sphere of influence and ask the question, who have I passed the baton on to? Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. Let's think about that as we look at the book of 2 Timothy. Now, as we make our way through this little letter for the next seven weeks or so, if there was ever a book that talks about passing the baton, it is this book of the Bible. It's probably in all of the scriptures, the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, certainly in the scriptures, but I'm wondering even beyond that if it is his last letter. He's in prison right now, incarcerated. He's in some dismal underground facility. Uh, many in church tradition believe that it was the Roman prison, the Mamertine, which was a dreadful place. It was an underground dungeon with basically just a little hole that was in the ceiling so that there was a ray of sunlight and some of the fresh air would get in. 
Now, if you know anything about Paul's story or his background, you know that he was imprisoned once before in Rome, but this is a second imprisonment, and this one is far harsher. It's taking place during the Neronian persecution in A.D. 64. In fact, this is death row for Paul. The church father, Eusebius, who wrote the first Christian church history, quoted Dionysus of Corinth, and he said that Peter and Paul were both martyred on the same occasion. Paul was executed by beheading, and Peter asked or requested to be crucified head downward because he didn't believe he was worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Now, if you had one last letter to write, who would you write it to? What would you say to them? I submit to you this morning that that letter, the themes that would emerge from it in your letter would certainly represent your core beliefs, your core values. This is who I am. This is what my life was about. And this is what I would hope would continue beyond me. So Paul, as he chooses to send this letter, is writing it to his heir apparent, his protege, Timothy. Now, we can think of this as his last will and testament, written, as John Calvin said, not merely in ink, but in his lifeblood. This is who he was. What I find remarkable about this letter is Paul didn't just write this to Timothy. He expected Timothy to read this to the churches. So it's not just a personal letter between these two men. It's, it's something that we're meant to almost be reading over Timothy's shoulders so that we can also absorb these principles that Paul gives us. Here's his main message. Timothy, my, my time on earth is not long. You've got to do something for me. You've got to pick up the baton. And you've got to get really good at passing that baton on to other leaders if this Christianity, if this gospel is going to go forward from here. Timothy, I know you don't feel ready for this. But no one ever feels ready for occasions such as this. But you can do it, Timothy. You can pick up the baton. Now, if you're talking to someone who might be questioning whether or not they can do something, it's always good to begin with some good reminders. So we're going to be looking at a couple of good reminders that Paul gives to Timothy. And we're going to see that these obviously translate into our lives as well. Let's look at the first two verses of 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first reminder that Paul gives to Timothy is, is a very simple reminder. I know you and you know me. Now here's what I want us to see about this, that Paul and Timothy shared a history together. It's a typical greeting, but at the same time, the titles and the greetings matter. Paul's an apostle. Timothy's my beloved child. The point is, is that the connections and shared relationships in our story, in our Christian story, matter. You know, God has infused your life with other believers 
who have entered into your story and He's used those believers to advance His kingdom in your life. And I would submit as well that there are people that God's used in their life. He's used you in their life to advance His story in their life. In fact, the Gospel is passed along from generation to generation through the relationships that we build and maintain. These relationships matter. They're core to what keeps us grounded in the life of faith. Now think about the relationship of Paul and Timothy. To Timothy, he was the Apostle Paul. There was a man that he looked to as a leader among leaders. We know Paul's story and how he became an apostle. It happened on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. If you recall that story, he was heading to persecute Christians, to imprison them, and there was probably murderous intent in his heart. But then he was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 26, he, he expands a little bit on what Jesus said to him. He says, Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now, when Paul reminds Timothy that he was an apostle of the will of God, he meant it. Okay, here's the thing. In Acts chapter 26, when Jesus says, I am sending you, you could actually translate that phrase, I am apostling you. And there's no conversation here. There's not like this conversation where he says to him, you know, Paul, we've really gotten off on the wrong foot here. I think you need to change your position with me and start coming onto my team. No, Jesus is Lord. He says, I'm apostling you. You're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Get busy. It's time to get to work. Like I said, Timothy revered this man. He had suffered for the Lord. He had planted churches all throughout Asia and over into Europe. He was tenacious and gritty in his determination to follow Jesus Christ. Now, to Paul... Timothy was my beloved child. Two different guys from two different backgrounds. Paul was raised in the strictest sect of Judaism. Timothy was raised in the town called Lystra. His father was Greek, probably not a believer. He was raised by his mother and grandmother in the Lord. Now, he was called my beloved child by Paul because when Paul in Acts went to Lystra, we believe it is there that he had led Timothy to Christ. And then he recruited him to come on his second and third missionary journey. He had raised him up as a leader. He made him an apostolic delegate. Timothy was sent to Thessalonica and then to Corinth. He was also loyal to the Apostle Paul. In Jerusalem, when Paul was arrested and then later shipped to Rome, we believe that Timothy was along with him for the whole journey. We know that Timothy was in Rome because the prison epistles, those letters that he wrote to the churches while he was in prison, Paul, also bear the name Timothy, such as Philemon and Philippians and Colossians. So here you have this 
man that Paul trusts like no other person. They have such a strong relationship. Again, the gospel is passed along from generation to generation through the relationships that we build and maintain and nurture in Christ. Paul loved Timothy, and Timothy loved Paul. The two men grew so close together. Now, why is that? Was it because they were both the same age? Did it have anything to do with their political leanings? Were they both Republicans or both Democrats? Was it because they both liked the same music and styles and genre or wore the same clothes? No. It was grounded in something far deeper than that. They both had their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was grounded in the gospel. Look at what Paul says to him in that ending part. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Those aren't just niceties. That's the core of what they share together. They are sinners, blood-bought sinners, saved by grace through Jesus. You know that our value family here at Osterville Baptist Church matters. It matters. Because as a church family, we must believe that investing in the relationships of the church is one of the most enriching investments that we can make with our lives. Here's the thing. The capacity to which our relationships can go is deep. Mariana's trench deep, deeper than all of those superficial connections will take us in relationships with others. Now, I issue this warning a lot, but it's an important warning. If we determine our our attendance in a church based upon superficial things, whether it's not like I like this music style or I like this preaching style or I'm really, I have this affinity for this type of people, we are basing our attendance in church on something that's shallow. Uh, Brett McCracken, he's an author, he talks about the danger of this type of mentality. Again, he says, not only is it coldly transactional, what have you done for me lately, but it's also devoid of covenantal commitment. Consumerist church attendance is basically a celebrity marriage without a prenup. Mm. And it's also anti-gospel. A true gospel community is not about convenience and comfort and chai lattes in the vestibule. It's about pursuing each other forward in holiness and striving together for the kingdom, joining, joining along in the ongoing work of the Spirit in this world. And you know another crucial point that he makes? He says, young people are looking for that kind of community. They're kind of sick and tired of all the gimmicks and shows that are out there. They're actually looking for a community where the relationships are real and transformational. In fact, just this past week, I had a conversation with a young couple. They have two beautiful daughters, and they are moving from California to Cape Cod because they miss what they had here. And it wasn't gimmicks. <laughs> it was relationships. It was people. It was the first time where they really felt like I was a part of a body of Christ and activated for Jesus' mission. Church, that matters. 
That's what it's all about. In fact, when you think about it, the, the Holy Spirit places that in your desire set when you are a believer. It is like our Christian herd instincts. We want to pass the baton. We should be passing the baton. And it only happens through the relationships that we build and maintain. Now let's move on and let's look at another good reminder. We're looking at verses 3 and 5 now. Now I want us to see another invaluable good reminder because we all need to hear this one from time to time. Because every Christian is prone You are prone to seasons of self-doubt and a loss of confidence. Anyone ever struggle with that here? I sure do. Big time. Now, we can even begin to question the fundamentals of our faith. We can say things like, did I ever really trust Jesus or am I just fooling myself? And how how could God use someone like me? And when it comes to spiritual leadership in particular, we we ask questions like, am I even qualified to do this? Now, why do we ask that question? Well, it's because our conscience, the conscience of the believer, is struggling with the spiritual bar that the Bible has set. And that bar is really high. In fact, there was only one who could clear that bar. Jesus. Not me. Not you. So how can then anyone enter into leadership when that's the standard? How can I be preaching in front of you right now? Well, Paul says this. This is the good reminder. I know your faith is genuine. He says in verses 3 and 4, I I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. And I remember your tears I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. As you look at those verses in the scripture, I want you to see three spiritual applications about faith. The first is we'll see in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Let's go back to the qualification question now. Is anyone of us qualified to lead others spiritually? And the answer is, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not in and of myself am I qualified to lead others spiritually. I'm not qualified to be a pastor of a church in my own innate good abilities, okay? In fact, if you knew me before Christ, you would know someone that was manipulative and greedy and self-focused and self-obsessed. And you might be thinking to yourself, wow, this guy's being really hard on himself. But I'm telling you, I'm not being hard. I'm going easy because it was worse. But when I came to place my faith in Jesus and walk with him, I became a new creation in Christ. And in him, in Jesus... We are qualified to serve, not again because of anything that I possess, but because of him. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with a guilty conscience or you're asking yourself that question, could I ever be good enough? The answer is no, but Jesus can be good enough for you. That's the gospel message. 
Jesus Christ became your righteousness. He lived a life that you couldn't live. He jumped over the bar on your behalf. He died on the cross in your place. He bore your sins upon his body. And the scriptures say that when I place my faith in him, I become that new creation. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.9 that we need this more than anything. We need to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So even right now, as you listen to me preach, you can begin that life-changing relationship with him. You can trust in Jesus as your Savior. And God will radically change your life in that. Now let's look at a second spiritual application. And this one should strengthen every parent and grandparent. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you. Here's what we need to understand. Timothy was a product of his spiritual upbringing. He was. Parent and grandparent. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it, okay? But you you play an instrumental role in passing along the faith. Now, I love Pastor James. I love him to death. But his role in your child's life is less significant than your role in your child's life, according to the Word of God. Here's where it happens. It happens in all of the mundane moments of life. When you read the Bible to them. When you pray with them. When, when you talk to them about guarding their heart, uh, in my family, we, we use this language of, is this good for your heart or bad for your heart? We're just, we're just trying to talk about the decisions of life, and is this going to bring me cro- closer to Christ, or is this going to drive me away from Christ? It happens in those places where you teach them to be a spiritual exile because there's an oddness to walking with Christ in this world. And sometimes that oddness is felt when we're sitting in a restaurant and, and the family bows their head together and pray, and we're one of the few families that do that. Or there's that oddness when, as a family, you say, you know what, we're going to drive a stake in the ground and we are going to be at church on Sunday mornings to grow in Christ and to learn his ways together. It's also felt when you're moderating the devices that the kids are on, whether it's their cell phones or iPads or whatever. There's a differentness to walking with Christ in this day and age, and, and you are those trailblazers for your kids. I know that some of you ask the question, well, what, what if they're not walking with the Lord right now? Here's the thing that I want you to know. Your influence never stops. Never stops. I know plenty of kids who went off to college and they stopped walking with the Lord and then in their adult years they look back at their parents' influence, grandparents' influence, and now they're in a place where they're ready to walk with the Lord. Grandparent, what if one of your children isn't walking with the Lord and you want to influence your grandchildren? I want to suggest that you should involve them in that conversation. But say things like, you know, 
would it be okay if I read Bible stories to them and prayed with them? Do I have your permission to do that? And I would hope that that would be okay. I, I, I still believe, even in that case, you have so much influence. Timothy is a product of the faith that first dwelt in Lois and Eunice. Now, the Bible doesn't promise that faith always transfers, but it does tell us that spiritually investing in our children goes a long way. Let's look at one more point of application. It's in verses 3 and 4, and it's seen in the relationship of Paul and Timothy. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Now here's what I see there. Paul and Timothy needed one another. All right? Mentees need mentors. Mentors need mentees just as much as mentees need mentors. Okay? That is so important. Look in again at the depth of the relationships. Now, Paul, in verse 4, is re referencing a time when he witnessed Timothy in tears. Most likely, that involved the time when he was rearrested and being brought back to Rome. Only this time, Timothy couldn't go with him. So, Timothy's back. He's going to take care of the church of Ephesus, and he weeps bitterly because his mentor is being shipped off to suffering. But here's also what we see in this text. Just as Timothy loved Paul, Paul was strengthened in prison as he prayed about Timothy. Do you see that? Now, just like Jesus, do you remember on the night when he was betrayed and all of the disciples departed from him? Well, Paul experienced the same thing in this Roman imprisonment. He was virtually alone in this place. Some of the people who were with him, they just fled. Others left the faith altogether. Now, if that were to happen to you, how would you feel about your legacy? How secure would it feel? But every time he got down in the dumps, he went into his prayer closet and he prayed for Timothy. Because here's a clear instance of the baton passing, of, of someone who he could see the light of Christ in and who was learning to be his own man and walking with Christ. Every time Paul thought about that, it strengthened his, uh, his faith. Church, Paul's need Timothy's and Timothy's need Paul's. Every church should be filled with mentor-mentee relationships all throughout the church. I've had several Pauls in my life. I mean, I've got to tell you, I'm just so thankful for them. They say things to me like, you're a priority in my calendar. I pray for you regularly. I'm not afraid to smack you upside the head when you need smacked upside the head. And let me tell you, I need smacked upside the head sometimes. I'm never going to stop being there for you. Anytime you need me, the phone, you're just one, I'm just one phone call away. And even if I can't get them right there in that moment, I'll tell you, they're scheduling me in so that I can talk to them. And it's the same thing with other Christians that I've had the pleasure of mentoring. 
Every time you're feeling down in the dumps or something like that, you pick up the phone, you call one of them. They're passionate about the Lord. They're learning how to discern God's will for, your li- for their life. And, and it just fills you up with joy as you hear from them. Let me, let me ask you, have you ever gotten to the place where the torch was, was going dim in your heart for Christ and the passion that you had for faith? Well, you need to get a mentee. You need to get someone who you're watching get really invested in the things of the Lord and your torch will be burning bright. Well, let's uh, move on to a third good reminder. Um, We move into the final verses, verses 6 and 7. And and to set this up, we need to know a little bit more about Timothy and his background. Now, Timothy is someone that I can relate to. I have a lot harder time relating to the Apostle Paul. Timothy is the kind of guy that struggled. He wasn't always confident. He sometimes met failure. Paul was a lot different. I mean, this guy is resolute. If you go back and get some time today, read Acts 14. And in Acts 14, you're going to see Paul get pulled out of a, a, a town by the leadership. They stone him to what they believe is death. He's only unconscious, and when he wakes up from unconsciousness, he doesn't do what I would have done. I would have crawled away bloody and beaten and tried to hide somewhere. No, Paul just picks himself up, he dusts himself off, and he walks right back into the town. And then he gets a couple of disciples, and he goes on to another town, and he starts preaching the gospel again. Does anyone else find that crazy? See, I don't relate to that as much, but Timothy... Well, Timothy had setbacks, didn't he? I mean, when he was first sent to Corinth, it appears likely that the situation eventually grew too difficult for his introverted, subdued personality. In fact, there were personalities in that wild church called Corinth that were walking all over Timothy. In fact, in 2 Timothy, we see that it's Titus, not Timothy, that Paul sends to lead that church. He was also young in years. When, when Paul led him to Christ in Lystra, he was probably 20 years old. This is now 15 years later. He's 35 years old, and he struggled with many weaknesses and ailments. Like a doting mother in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul says to him, No longer only drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. In fact, if we were to form a search committee and have a headhunter search for the Apostle Paul's replacement, right? I don't think that we would have looked at Timothy and said, that's the guy. And even if we did think he was the guy, I'm pretty convinced that Timothy said, I'm not the guy. You see, he was like many leaders who came before him. Greatness was thrust upon him. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Jeremiah, I'm about to send you out to be my prophet. So many came before him and so many were reluctant, even afraid to grab the baton. But you have to understand something crucial about the baton pass. When you feel weak, if you lack God confidence, it will cause you to drop that baton. 
So when Paul talks to Timothy in these last two verses, he's building his confidence. He's not doing it, though, in telling Timothy, you need more self-esteem. He's saying you need more God-esteem, more God-confidence. Look at verses 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here's the final good reminder. Internalize this one. I know the spirit who dwells in you. I know the spirit who dwells in you. Timothy needed to know that he was qualified to serve through Christ's work. Now he needs to understand that he is empowered to serve because of the Holy Spirit's work. Believer, you are qualified because Christ has given you his righteousness and you are empowered because the Holy Spirit enables you to fulfill the mission. That's what we see in this text. Now, how do we see it in the text? Well, Gordon Fee suggests that that word spirit in verse 7 should have a capital S, not a lowercase s, because it's referring to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, he translates it like this, for when God gave us the spirit, the Holy Spirit, it is not a Holy Spirit of timidity. No, he is the Holy Spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So here's the thing. Are you afraid if you start serving Christ that you are going to mess things up? Are you? If you are, good. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. We all need to hear that human wisdom and human effort will make a colossal mess of spiritual work. However, when you and I are enabled by the Holy Spirit of God, now we're talking about a much different scenario. Now we have at our disposal power and love, the love of Christ and self-discipline. Oswald Chambers said it like this, God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced their dependence on their natural abilities and resources. And you want to know what's incredible about all that Paul's saying here in verses 6 and 7? He's not telling Timothy anything that Timothy didn't already know. That's why it's called a good reminder. Timothy knew that when he placed his faith in Christ that the Holy Spirit of God indwelt him. You know it too, believer. You know it too. That's why we need good reminders. Good reminders are things that we know to be true but we need to put into practice, right? Now let's take a look as we close this down about those three good reminders. Let's summarize those for just a second. Remember, the first good reminder centered around embracing 
deep relationships that are grounded in the gospel. Make that a priority in your life, Paul's saying, or Paul's demonstrating to us, actually. Secondly, the good reminder is centered on the reality that mentor-mentee relationships are used greatly of God to strengthen our faith. Timothy needed to be reminded of the faith that Paul knew was in him, that had been passed along by his mom and his grandmother, and that could only come about because they had a trusting relationship with one another. Third, and the third uh, good reminder is centered on the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within us. He produces the power of spiritual leadership. Well, how do we apply this? Well, I'm going to give you three points of application that I would recommend, but remember the Spirit of God dwells in you too. I'm not the only giver of application. As you look at the Word of God, meditate upon these things, and God will open up more application that's personal to your life. But here's one, one recommendation. I want you to spend time this week and create a list of 10 or so deep Christian relationships that you have formed over the years that have strengthened you. Think about that relationship. How did it start? What did God do in and through the relationship? And then here's another thing. If you haven't connected with that person for a while, connect with them. Secondly, if you do not have a mentor or a mentee, start praying about it. Pray about it. Don't force it, okay? Don't do something formalized like, hey, I'm going to be mentoring you and you're memorizing 50 verses now. How about we start off with, would you like to grab a cup of coffee sometime? It's always a better approach, isn't it? And then move at the pace of prayer. If God makes something of it, he makes something of it. Thirdly, to remind yourself of the gift of the Holy Spirit, go back to a time in your life when God worked mightily through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul, he reminds Timothy of the time when they laid hands upon him when he was called to ministry. When did the Holy Spirit work mightily in your life? And as you think about that time, remember and be confident that that same Holy Spirit is with you today. He's right here. He's moving now in our midst. So as we apply these things, church, as we look at these good reminders, it's going to strengthen us to keep walking and to be faithful in this walk with Christ. Would you bow your heads with me and let me ask God for his power and enablement. Lord, we're so grateful for your holy word. We're grateful that we have this book of the Bible, 2 Timothy. And I want to pray over my church family this morning that you would strengthen us and empower us to run this race well, to carry the baton of faith in the way that you've called us to carry it. Lord, I pray for any here who may be questioning whether or not they've trusted in Christ as their Savior. I pray even now that they would reach out to Christ, believe that he died in the cross for their sins, that he rose again from the dead, and that when they place their faith in him, that they would be fully and finally forgiven and have eternal life with you. 
Be with us as we go about our week. Help us to be the faithful, called out ones, the Christians that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.